This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Occasions of Sin, a theological crime novel. And the author is John Martin Gale. And John joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, John. Hello, Steve. Thanks for, uh, th- thanks for doing this. Well, great to have you with us. Uh, this is quite a novel with a lot of twists and turns. Of this interesting title, of course, Occasions of Sin, but then you throw in a theological crime novel. Now, tell us about the title and in this, in this connection with theology. Okay, well, Occasions of Sin is a kind of term of art in, um, in Catholic theology, uh, and it means that... Uh, it means to identify places or persons who are not sins of themselves, but are temptations. They lead you into sin. So people can be sins, uh, occasions of sin. Uh, places can be uh, occasions of sin. And uh, the one of the epigrams I put on the book was, um, you know, I have it here, so let me read it. Um, it's, it, it's from St. Teresa of Avila, who was a, 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 an important um, Spanish monastery, what's, what's the word, abbess of the monastery. And she says, It is here, my daughters, that love is to be found, not hidden away in corners, but in the midst of occasions of sin. And believe me, although we may often fail and commit small lapses, our gain will be incomparably the greater. In other words, virtue, if you can call it virtue, and I guess you can, is uh, is to be found in the, in the hurly-burly of life. You you got to get in and mess with real life. And uh, this is sometimes messy. That's what you do with messes. And your book your book is messy. It is. It's very messy. And it's it's a little convoluted. It spins back on itself. It has lots of murders, drugs, importing of drugs, smuggling of drugs, corruption in police departments, and um, there's a lot of mess out there. And, and getting through the mess, there's, there's opportunities for courage, for valor, um, for uh, being a good person and a heroic person. And Sergeant Marino is such a person. Um, there are four main characters. I won't give you the details of them, uh, but I'll give you a little bit of the details of one of them besides Sergeant Marino. Sergeant Marino uh, is a Puerto Rican girl. She's 30 years old, almost 30 years old. And she's um, she was born in... Puerto Rico and raised there for a few years, and then her mother brought her to the Bronx in New York City, and that's a rough area. And um, she joined the New York Police Department after, you know, after high school, 
worked as a, as a functioning New York cop, which is which can be pretty rough. Incidentally, my older brother, who's no longer with us, is um, was a was a cop in New York, a homicide detective and a cop. He inspired some parts of the book. I'll interrupt myself to say that my other brother, older brother also, well older than I, was a seminarian for a brief period of time, a couple of years. He also inspired parts of the book because this this co-hero, um, Eric, the former priest, who was really forced out of the priesthood, but he's still a practicing Catholic, but no longer a priest. He's modeled um, partly on my other brother. Eric, the uh, former Catholic priest, is a real ally to this Sergeant Detective Marino? Yeah, absolutely. And it turns out to... Um, it turns out to be a romantic interest of serious dimension with Sergeant Marino. So without tipping off how the book is going to end, I'll suggest that there is a strong romantic interest between the, those two. So they get involved um, two things. One is a, a clash with the corrupt police chief who runs um, the police department in the town she's in, which is called Wisdom, Georgia, in the county of Wisdom, Georgia. They also learn about a plot that uh, this corrupt police chief is trying to put together to import drugs from Colombia South America into um, southeastern United States. And um, so a couple of little clans form. He's got his own little corrupt group. There's already a a corrupt group in Colombia. And then we'll call them our crime fighters, which sounds like a comic, comic book characters, but they're not comic book characters. But I love to think of them that way, because um, there's just that touch of the air of a comic book in, in the writing, which I should mention, by the way, is is somewhat comic. It's, I, I, don't, I don't like to call this a comic novel, but I'll admit that that's how I think of it. It's very funny in, in many places, but I'm one of, you know, I, I think of it as a very funny serious, very funny and very serious novel. So it is a theological novel and it, 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 it deals with questions like evil. How can evil exist in the world if, if God is good? If there is a God and if he's good, uh, so I call him a he, let's call him a he. If he's good, if he's so good and so powerful, how, how can he allow evil to exist? It's a classic philosophical problem right. or theological problem. Right. So they confront that general problem and they get they get attacked by um, first this, this group of uh, fearless uh, heroes get attacked first by the corrupt police chief and his allies 
and then they get attacked by um, the South American um, gangsters, is what they are, part of organized crime in Colombia. Well, the sergeant detective, she's got two other very close allies, two uh, ladies in her life, two f- women, two friends. Right. They, um, they, they, they all just happened upon each other in a very short period of time. One of them is a, um, is a woman um, who um, is the medical examiner for um, the county. Uh, and then the fourth, fourth character on this team is uh, a young English girl from uh, Manchester, England, uh, who um, is only 20 years old, and she's come over for um, to the United States for, for essentially an internship in, in writing. So she has a job writing on a local newspaper, writing this and that, and just getting experience. And she... Uh, strongly admires Sergeant Marina Marino, who is um, who is called throughout the book Margarita, by the way. And uh, they become fast friends and they, they even live together. So they're crime fighters. All four of them join in uh, a team of of uh, allies who are essentially crime fighters, just like the old uh, Batman Robin Dick Tracy, all those comic book characters. And I think of it somewhat as a comic book. It's, it's, um, it's meant to be over the top in various places. Mm-hmm. So you take it to the extremes. Yeah, and I think, I think that's fun. That's part of, the, right. part of the reason it's a fun novel. Well, and obviously they're going to be in very dangerous situations all, you know, in trying to confront all this evil. Absolutely, and there, there's a lot of lot of blood spilled, um, particularly I'm happy to say by the bad guys. Um, the good guys prevail, as one might expect, and uh, they spill a lot of bad guy blood. I think it would make a good movie, by the way, but uh, no reason to hope for that. Well, you never know. That's for sure. You've done the first part. You've written the book, and you you had a lot of inspiration from uh, reading uh, English Catholic novelists. Some of may have heard of Graham Greene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's um, an important figure in in uh, English literature, and he's uh, he's um, been the source of of uh, movies like The Quiet American or Our Man in Havana. Um, and uh, probably seven or eight movies beyond those. And he 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 was um, well respected. He was he never did get the Nobel Prize, but he was usually um, nominated for it. And uh, he was he was in the great he was in the Ernest Hemingway tradition of going to war war zones and sitting in the midst of battles. And I think he was a very, very fine writer. So he's. So he had an influence on your writing. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I, I have a lot of influences, and he's certainly one of them. Um, so it's a fast-moving page turner. Yeah, I would think so. 
It wasn't it wasn't page turner to write, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it is a challenge to write, as everyone knows firsthand who are authors. Yeah, but I think it's I think it you know I'm I'm very proud of it. I think it's a really good book, um, a good read, and a um, a very provocative read. I mean, it's, it's it's something to chew on intellectually. It's um, it's easy to read, but something that requires some attention, some thought, because of the themes. Um, one of them is, a, is a, I think I mentioned before, maybe before we started talking about the book itself, is about one of the themes is, is the problem of evil. How can there be a good God if uh, so many so much evil happens in the world? Right, that's a big question in a lot of people's minds. Yeah, and it's, it, it doesn't go away. It's not going to be solved. But uh, it's always going to be explored, and I'll, I'll make my own little contribution by exploring it in this book. So I think, uh, you know, that's about it. That's, okay. that's the book. Well, I appreciate you sharing about your book titled Occasions of Sin, a theological crime novel, and we've been listening to John Martin Gale. John, tell us how to get your book. Um, probably the simplest way would be to go to Amazon.com um, and um, just order it through that. It's pretty simple to do that. Well, thank you. You can go through a bookstore and do the same thing. Exactly. But, yeah, you can order it in any online bookstore or walk in off or the street. Or walk in, but, right. they'll, but they'll have to order it. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being with us on Author Talk. To the contrary, thank you, Steve. You did this. You asked some awfully good questions, and I appreciate your time. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Dix of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station? Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Girlfriended is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriended Principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to mm-hmm. have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. 
Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Oh Brother, Why? And the author is Michael Thoreau, and Michael joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Michael. Hello, Steve. Great to have you with us. Let me read a little introduction about your book for everyone. You say this, the story of a retired soldier how he was sent to discourage his long-lost brother from committing acts of violence against his country, his country being America. His brother had proclaimed himself king and had recruited 12 men with the same displeasure to the U.S. as his disciples to disrupt the daily lives of the Brits and allies. So this book, there's some fiction in it, but it's based on facts. It's about 90% true, you say. Yes, it is. Well, before we get into the details of what all this means, oh, brother, why, uh, we'll find out why you said that and uh, what your brother was, uh, all the details of what your brother was into. Uh, Tell us about yourself, Michael, a little bit about your background in the military and uh, why you wrote the book. Yes, well, my original name is Melchiedes Joyo, J-O-Y-E-U-X. When I spoke to the publishers, they could not say, pronounce the Melchiedes, <laughs> so I so I had to stop them and say, okay, just say Michael. And I remember many years ago when I came to the States, I read a book about uh, a poet called Henry Thoreau, mm-hmm. and I figured, well, since they could not pronounce my last name either, Joyo, they kept telling me <laughs> Joyex, so I said, just say Thoreau, because it sounds like Joyo, so that made it easier. But my whole my name is Melchiedes Joyo, and I say if they call it if they say Michael Thoreau, that would resemble me. But even growing up, my brother used to call me Little Mike, and that's how the Michael stayed as Michael Thoreau. And you have quite a background in the military. Yes, I I spent 24 years as an army medic. Traveled all over the world. Yes, I did. I was a linguist originally. Well, I was a medic, but being a linguist, I ended up being selected to travel around the world with congressmen and other people around, you know, through the different areas, translating and all, in their meetings and everything. You grew up in a large family, seven children, and somewhere along the line you got separated from your brother. Yes, we did. How did that happen? Um, well, we, at the, at the age of 14, 14, 15, we, we took the exam for college and made it through. And I went to Versailles and he stayed in Marseille going to college. And somehow we separated from there and ended up in England together where he went to Liverpool and I ended up in Birmingham. I did a language and he did engineering. And he actually came to my wedding and everything, became my daughter's godfather. And, you know, it didn't take long. And after a couple of weeks, that young man just disappeared. I met him later in Nigeria. 
and he introduced me to a, a good friend of his, he said, was his roommate, but this person was going to medical school, was a medical intern, and he told me that he had changed his religion to a Muslim because he wanted to become a Muslim. And I think he had this, this, he had influence from the same guy, that same doctor, who later became Andrew. And I think that's the way his whole story started. His whole becoming king, King Makinami started. So he became a Muslim and in the process uh, fell into, uh, under the influence of some different people, which eventually led him to become an enemy of, of the United States? Yes, I think so, because, well, I don't know, as in the book he mentioned, you know, his mom, his mom really died from an American, an, a drunken American that tourist that ran over the mother and his sister in Marseille. And the mother died, but then the father, who was the wrangler on our farm, went to visit his brother in Lebanon, so they could go to the Me- to Mecca for for Ramadan. And as you know, Lebanon close to Israel. These people they attacked a Jewish outpost, and Israel dropped the bomb. And somehow, both the father and his and his brother died. So this young man, I guess, grew up with the hatred for mm-hmm. Israel, America, and everything. Right. Even though we went to church, we went to school, Catholic boys' school, and church, we did our first communion, confirmation, and everything. I guess deep down, he still wanted to, you know, pursue the that bad, that ill feeling towards America and the Allies. So, and I think that's how, that's how he surfaced in England. So how did it come about that you uh, were given an assignment to find your brother, but you didn't even know it was your brother at the time? Well, the same thing. They, they, called, me, they called me home to, well, the people came for me. I don't know if you read part of the book where the FBI or CIA guys showed up at my home and took me to the Air Force base. And I ended up in North Carolina when I couldn't answer the questions because they kept asking me about King King Mackey, and I keep saying I didn't know who King Mackey was, but I guess they were determined that I knew the person. And I ended up in North Carolina in a conference room looking at the faces of these other people in another conference room, and they showed me the picture of that young man. And that's how I realized, hey, they were talking about my brother, not just the somebody I went to school with. So they had no idea this was your brother? They had no idea. All they thought, all they knew was I went to school with that person. But when they showed me the picture, that was that turned out to be my brother. And why were they trying to find him? Well, because they, had, they really had nothing on him, only they knew that he had eight people in London. He had eight men with him in London, and they were considered dangerous. And I guess they had they knew of plans or whatever he had. So he had he was associating with people who were wanted by the FBI. Yes. And according to them, they had nothing on him, not even a traffic ticket. But they just knew he had he had bad people with him. So, and they wanted me to either talk to him or find out. When they found out he was my brother, then they wanted me to go talk to him. So I had to go to London and introduce myself 
to them where we spend time together and everything. You're a patriotic retired soldier. I would say so, yeah. I spent 24 years doing the same thing because I went to the desert. You were actually, you were involved in, in you were involved in a, a desert storm. Yes, I was. I actually got injured in desert storm and was shipped back home for surgery. And you have uh, classified. Uh, you're cleared for classified information, which, of course, you can't go into any details. Yes, I am. I was at the time because, as I said, I traveled a lot with, even while in the Army, I traveled with generals to, you know, NATO briefings and other areas and military outings. Plus, I traveled with congressmen around the world, even vice presidents. So, yes, I would say I had. I had access to a good many of these people, congressmen and senators and all. So when you first realized that this was your brother, you, you had been separated for how long? 30 years. 30 years, didn't have a clue of what he was up to. No, I tried to find him. Actually, I wrote many letters and tried to find him through his last address, and I never found him. He told me he got the letters, but only he could not write back. He was, I guess, too busy in either making money or making more friends or building his group. And then he told me all the things they did to make money. And So this is all detailed in your book? Yes, it is. You say something about what you did that was necessary to prevent another 9-11. Was this all part of the quest to find your brother? Yes, it is, because that was, I think that was his plan. He wanted me to come back to the States to join his group, come back to the States and take pictures of basketball games and football games on weekends and then he would send his friends so they would you know then they could really organize for planting bombs and things like that yeah i'm surprised somebody hasn't tried to do that since 9-11 it seems like where there's so many people together what an awful uh, obviously tragedy that would be but uh, yes, it would be, but that was his, that was his yeah, plan, that was his yeah, idea. Right, it doesn't surprise me that somebody would be thinking about that. So you're, so, so without giving away everything about the story, uh, what else can you tell us? Well, he had, as I mentioned, he had plans, because they had plans on blowing up part of the Waterloo train station, and they had actually set up the bombs and things like that, but... I saw I saw the markings on the on the computer that one of his men had in the, in his office in the hotel room, and told the people in London about it. And they they took everything but left the em, left empty boxes to show that it was still there in case they came back. And they had the, they had eight young men in a truck with the picture of um what's his name Ben Laden. So they would blame it all on Al-Qaeda and all these things. Mm -hmm. And, well, I was able to set that up so they would clear the boys and, you know, took the, took the van away. But then the police end up catching up with them on the way to the high, to the airport, on the highway to the airport and shot it out with them. So. And he and showed, was, he also showed you a bunch of money that you could make if you get involved with them, huh? Oh yes, when he 
opened that safe, man, my eyes just bubbled up. How much money do you think was in the safe? According to the guys, he had $58 million. $58 million American dollars plus a couple more millions in British pounds, liras, French money, and everything else. So all told, I think he had about $65 million worth in that safe. Well, these kinds of stories seem to be right out of the movies, but reality is always better than fiction. Oh, yeah, definitely. We've been talking to Michael Thoreau, his book, Oh, Brother, Why? Michael, tell us how to get your book. Well, it is on Amazon.com plus OfferHouse.com, and you can also find it on Barnes & Nobles, and there, there are some in a local bookstore right here in my city of Lawton, Oklahoma. Well, we appreciate you being with us on Author Talk, Michael. And I thank you very much, sir. Thanks very much for the interview. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you been laid off, fired, downsized, right-sized, or re-engineered out of a job? Are you unemployed or anticipate that possibility? Then tune in for Successfully Unemployed, hosted by Alan Sherwood, MBA, president of Sherwood Consulting Service. Successfully Unemployed will provide you a hope-filled and comprehensive approach to the job search process from an author who's experienced it all. Alan and his guests will cover all dimensions of a job search, physical tasks, mental attitude, emotional health, even one's spiritual perspective. All must be integrated in order for a person to be successfully unemployed so they can then be successfully employed. This show is designed to help you move forward from job loss to finding or creating more fulfilling work. For more on Alan Sherwood, MBA, and the show, check out his website, SuccessfullyUnemployed.com. Then join us for Successfully Unemployed with Alan Sherwood, MBA. Thursday nights at 8, 7 Central here on Toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Papa's Letters, Love via First Class Mail. Of course, this is a little twist. Mail is spelled M-A-L-E. <laughs> and the author is Judith C. Lovell. And Judith joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Judith. Hi, Steve. How are you? Well, this First Class Mail is your grandfather, right? Yes, he was. You're Jamaican. And eloquent. Right. You're Jamaican grandparents. Uh, and we'll find out about 
how this all came about, how they got together through the mail, uh, love letters. There's a lot of power in the with the pen, I guess. That's no doubt in this case. Absolutely. You know something that's very interesting? We all love receiving presents. And can you imagine the excitement felt by a young woman knowing that every week, every week for nearly a year, she would receive a letter. So the excitement, the anticipation, this letter is coming from this honorable suitor. It's, it's, It's just so wonderful, the gift of a personal heartfelt letter, handwritten, sometimes filled with a kiss or with some cologne. <laughs> I <laughs> well, tell you, it's y- wonderful. Well, your papa was romantic. Yes, he was. And these pen- these letters, they became pen pals beginning in 1913, as you already pointed out. They wrote to each other for almost a year, and, and of course he proposed in a letter. She accepted in a letter they'd never met before. They never met before. Um, what was interesting um, was my grandfather's brother, Tom, was dating a young lady, and the young lady had a cousin. And he said, you know what, David, you should write to this woman, because I think she and you would hit it off. And my grandfather said, you know, I can make my own <laughs> decisions about my mates. But when he saw a picture of this young lady, that was it. He was captivated and started writing to her. Now, my uncle knew of her, but never met her. But he was dating her cousin. So there was a little connection there. Well, this is book two. This book is backed up with facts, pictures, and other historical documents. So you've really turned it into quite a bit of research and and really uh, saluting both your grandparents. Um, you know, it was so interesting. When I first pitched the idea of even exposing the letters to the world, I told the Carib News, and they said, okay, we'll print a four-part series. The four-part series was received so well. People started, you know, texting and emailing and tweeting questions and what happened here and what happened there and who is this person and we want to read more letters. So I was motivated to answer every single question that I received. And I had to do some research. For example, somebody asked me, well, how long does it take from Jamaica in those days to arrive in New York? And I was asking around. People really didn't know. But I went online and I did a search. And I found out that there was a ship manifest with my grandparents' name on the ship manifest, leaving Port Antonio on the 26th of August, 1914, and arriving in New York, August 31st. So there was my answer. I knew how long it took, and I had the ship manifest with their names on it and the name of the ship. So when he started writing to her, he was in Brooklyn, and she was in Jamaica. Yes. Yes, my grandfather came to Brooklyn, New York, in 1907, and he 
rented a room in the Fort Greene section because he said that was the area where blacks could rent rooms in New York. And what was interesting to me was that he rented a cold water flat. I never thought of, I never imagined that Brooklyn would have, you know, outhouses. But he said this room that he rented, well, the, you know, the toilet, (laughs) probably wasn't the toilet inside. You had to go outside to the outhouse. And he's coming from Jamaica where it's like 80, 85 degrees in the shade (laughs) to Brooklyn, New York. He came in October, so he had to go through a winter and walk outside in snow to go to the outhouse. <laughs> I couldn't imagine how he survived that first. Yeah, that was a, a, yeah, g- yeah. a great change, but he was so in love with your grandmother that I see where you've written where he said, I will surely come to you if I have to swim across the Atlantic. Right, <laughs> because World War II broke out. The United States wasn't involved yet, but he got a little nervous. He said, oh, my goodness, this is a big one, and I don't know if I'll be able to travel, but if I can't get a boat or something, I'm going to swim across and get you. He was so much in love. So there's a lot of wisdom in your book. Uh, These two live by principle. Absolutely. And one thing is, even though they wrote to each other for nearly a year, sent presents back and forth, candy and cigars and um, pictures. They really never met each other. So my grandmother says the day that she was to meet this young fellow, she got so nervous. She wanted to hide and run away. But she thought about it for a little while, and she said, you know what, I promise to marry this man, and my word is my bond, I'm going to do it. Hmm. And mm-hmm. I found that so amazing. Well, that is amazing. You think of the, the courage that it must have taken since they had never met, even though here they had both uh, decided to get married, married through letters, which, right. uh, which is obviously uh, not something that happens very often. And she says that when they they were about to leave the island of Jamaica, because he came from Brooklyn to Jamaica to get her, at the shore, her classmate from Westwood High School, where she went to high school, stood at the shore in their uniforms, waving their hankies goodbye. And as the ship went further and further out to sea, she saw less and less of them and she got a little nervous because now I'm leaving my home, the place that I know and love, to this strange place with this strange man. Am I doing the right thing? But they both had God at the center of their lives, and they knew that stepping out on faith was okay because God had said it was fine. So what would you say, what was the glue that kept this extraordinary couple together? prayer every night every day in between they would get on their knees together and pray that great saying the family that prays together stays together right of course you have your disagreements but you don't go to bed angry 
You know, my grandfather was one who believed in communication. We must communicate. And he stressed that in his letters. You know, if you have a problem, we need to talk about it. If I have a problem, I will talk about it. (laughs) We need to resolve it together. And as he wrote his letters, he would ask a question. Does this happen? How might you, you know, resolve this issue? He was feeling her out through these letters. And he liked her answers. You know, so he said, well, this is a woman who is of like mind. And, you know, it would make a good good match. Well, there's something about a handwritten letter. Of course, in this modern age with all this high-tech, uh, letter writing, would you say, has become a lost art? Well, I often think about the fact that we are living in a fast-paced world with innovation and technology and and tweets and Twitters and emails and and social media is wonderful. These are exciting times. But while these are exciting times, are these new technologies replacing or even displacing, you know, long-standing, established customs like letter writing? You know, in his letters, he points out lots of historical facts and details. For example, I found out, you know, not only about the outhouses, but the fact that Fort Greene was the place that he could rent a room. He paid a dollar fifty a week for that room. <laughs> um, found out about different customs and, um, you know, forms of etiquette, and it it was just so amazing. All of the details that he outlined in the letters that. Um, made made it so much easier for me to do my research to fill in the blanks. Well, so you, I, oh, sorry. I was going to say that you have some interesting themes that run in conjunction with this great love story of themes like uh, about immigration, about uh, the marriage rate, the marriage rate that's dropped so drastically. Why did you add those kinds of themes in here? Because I look at my I look at my grandparents and even though one might say, Wow, they only wrote to each other but it was a systematic it was a systematic process to find out are we of like mind? Let's write and find out if we can live together, if we see uh situations Similarly, so we can make a commitment to stay married. And I wonder with, you know, the social media and the things that, you know, the new technology that's emerging today, is that causing us to, I don't know, is it causing us to to lose that sense of commitment? You know, we're living in this um, microwave microwave world. If it doesn't work, if we can't get um, something quickly, well, let's move on, you know. Um, It's not working. The relationship's not working. Time for another relationship. Instead of committing and then saying, okay, we have to work on it. We have to communicate. We have to mend this relationship for better or for worse. 
You also have some concerns about churches today and how they're becoming smaller and smaller and many are closing. Yeah, and the interesting thing is uh, I teach as well, and I ask my students, you know, why? Because many of my students say to me that they don't go to church, and I'll ask them why. They say, because it's really not applicable to me. Um, so how can we? How can we draw the young people in? I'm very concerned about that because church and community was so important to my grandparents. And that was part of the glue that kept this family and this relationship together. So how can we speak to our young people nowadays in this new and, and highly tech world? And I'm sure we can. We just have to find a way to do it. Well, we have great history to help us see clearly. That's why uh, this book is so important, to realize how they used to do it, the old-fashioned way. Right. <laughs> you know? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, the traditional family, we've, we've kind of somehow abandoned the traditional family. Yes, we have, and as we move forward, it's not the traditional family anymore. It's the, I believe they say the alternative family because we have so many different alternatives, and that's fine too. But how do we make it? How do we? How do we make it work? That's my. That's really my question. How do we make it work? How do we make these relationships? peaceful, loving, committed relationship work well in today's society. Well, your grandfather and grandmother knew how to make it work. <laughs> so they're a great example to all of us. And as one reviewer said, there is nothing more inspirational and soul-stirring than reading a story about true love based in reality. Thanks for sharing. So that really sums yeah. up your book very well. Yes, it does. And I really enjoyed, I enjoyed writing it. And every time I read it, not just because I'm the author, but I really think it's a good story. And every time I read it, I, I find something new and interesting. Like in one of my letters, one of my grandfather's letters that was dated May 7th, 1914, where he says conditions in America are so different from those in Jamaica. And he mentions the fact that in America, we need to do all types of things to make a living, as long as it's honorable. And I think that's so applicable today. You know, gone are the days where you find a company and you stay with that company for 30, 40 years. You have to know many different things in today's world. So when he writes, he's writing for today, yesterday, and possibly tomorrow. That's what I love about his letters. We've been listening to Judith C. Lovell. She is the author of her book, Papa's Letters, Love Via First Class Mail. Judith, tell us how to get your book. Well, the book is, it can be bought on Amazon, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble. You can go to Papa's Letters on Instagram. I have a website, Papa's Letters, Facebook, uh, the fan page, Papa's Letters, 
And you can buy the book in hardcover, paperback, and ebook. Fantastic. You look like you have everything covered. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Well, thank you so much, Judith, for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you so much, Steve, for having me. I, I so enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> 